folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, remember, if you value what we do, we need your support. Visit the uh, donations page on the Fallon Forum website. You can donate once, you can donate monthly. It's all helpful. It's all very supportive. And thanks also to our local businesses, the uh, folks who sponsor this uh, program, Located here in the Des Moines Metro, uh, thanks to a Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, Gateway's Cafe, is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can also order groceries online, and they got a great catering and floral service as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 6 p.m., sorry, 5 p.m., and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. So here's our lineup for today, folks. Uh, later in the program, Charles and I, Charles is co-hosting with me today, we're going to be talking about uh, the new climate denial. It's actually called climate delay. We'll also be talking about the uh, Texas GOP and the Taliban finding common ground, and we'll take a look at the COVID debate, and you know, maybe there are deniers on both sides of that conversation. And to wrap up the show, Kathy Burns is going to sit in for me and welcome Elaine Mattingly to the program to talk about an American Gothic garden party. But first, it's my pleasure to welcome uh, Dan Ziegar to the program. Dan is a senior investigator with the Climate Investigation Center. He's the author of a just-released story about what happened to the tiny Mississippi town of Satarshia back in February of 2020 when a uh, carbon dioxide pipeline ruptured. Uh, this story is um, incredible to me. Um, Dan, uh, I spent, what, about 18 months interviewing people. And um, he talks about how over two dozen individuals are overcome within a few minutes, uh, collapsing in their homes, uh, collapsing at a fishing camp on a nearby river, um, you know, in their vehicles. Uh, a total of 49 people had to be hospitalized. It's a harrowing snapshot of... Um, what ought to be a huge story. Uh, Dan, uh, thank you for your work and uh, thank you for joining us on this program. <clears throat> well, thanks a lot, Ed. I'm a big admirer of your show and oh. uh, it's an honor to be here. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, so first of all, where was the carbon dioxide in this pipeline coming from and going to and for what purpose? Okay, well, yeah, the uh, in this this system of uh, pipelines that's operated by this company denbury which has uh, been a big mover of carbon dioxide uh, now for some years uh, was headed for oil fields where it would be used to uh, produce more oil than could be extracted by conventional means so that's the purpose of what this pipeline system is designed for um, Unfortunately, uh, <clears throat> it would appear that there wasn't really um, enough maintenance and uh, just kind of uh, best practices as far as safety goes. And uh, this pipeline uh, ruptured, and uh, it's a 24-inch in diameter pipeline, um, which is pretty good sized. So uh, a lot of product, uh, a lot of carbon dioxide came out and uh, caused the injuries that uh, you described. Hmm. Well, and uh, again, this um, I think there were 49 people hospitalized uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, and eventually 
the pipeline, the rupture was, uh, was you know, stopped. One question I have is, is this pipeline still operating or did they, was there any sanctions at all against the company? Did they lose their license? Uh, or is this thing, everything just back to business as usual? Well, pretty much back to business as usual. Uh, for There was a disruption uh, to the uh, gas, the CO2 gas that was actually flowing through this point and going onward uh, to another uh, oil field in Louisiana. So that that part of it stopped for a while. There's another oil field that's owned by the same company in Delhi, Louisiana. Um, and so, but other than that, it's business as usual. And in fact, the company didn't actually even really get into the incident in its various filings um, with the Securities and Exchange Commission, for instance, which they have to uh, supply a regular documentation to the SEC about uh, events that have happened that might, you know, compromise the company's ability to make a profit or draw it into litigation. In fact, there has not been any action by any governmental body um, because of this accident, at least not yet. Um, and then the only real kind of, you know, voices that have been raised in uh, in dissent and in talking about, you know, just trying to hold them uh, accountable have been from private plaintiff's attorneys who are taking on some of the uh, residents' cases, you know, some of the folks who were, who were injured. Um, there's really been nothing from the government side, and that's unfortunately probably going to be the model if there are other accidents, because there really is no uh, effective federal regulation of CO2 pipelines. I mean, Dan, could you, uh, you know, I'm sure some of the listeners are thinking, well, I mean, CO2, big deal. Um, right. You know, we breathe it all the time. It's in our atmosphere. What, what's the problem? Trees love it. Right. Trees love it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, <laughs> other than, of course, right. that it's, it's destroying our planet. Uh, in terms of the injuries and the dangers of this kind of pipeline break, I mean, could you speak a little bit about that? Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's the difference between the, the fizzy bubbles in your, you know, in your, in your Coca-Cola or your, or your beer <laughs> Uh, and an industrial product that has nothing to do with nature. Um, you take uh, carbon dioxide, in this case, that comes out of uh, naturally occurring sources uh, in a volcanic formation, which is in Mississippi, called the Jackson Dome. You take that and you put it under extremely heavy compression, 10 atmospheres worth of pressure, to get it down to a, what they call a supercritical liquid. So this gas is, is sort of in between a liquid and a gaseous state, but it's, it's basically a liquid, so it can flow through the pipeline hmm. under high, high pressure. That's about as close to what you're breathing in the air, uh, you know, as, uh, I don't know, um, uh, it, it's like the idea that if you put a plastic bag over your head and you breathe your own CO2, you'll eventually accumulate enough CO2 inside that bag to mimic what is actually coming out of this pipeline, and you'll, you'll, you'll asphyxiate. Right. And this gas will, first of all, it'll freeze anything solid within, oh, several hundred feet of, of a pipeline break. And by solid, I mean it'll freeze case-hardened steel to the point where it can be shattered with a sledgehammer. You could just shatter an entire oil rig, for instance. So it's a, it's a, li it's a liquid, it's, it's a liquid, but then when it comes out, it's a gas. It, correct. Okay. It, it it's out. like dry ice. Okay. It's, dry it's, ice. Actually, it's actually in the, in the, in the uh, process, 
as it comes out of shifting from liquid to gas. Right. It comes out extremely cold and extremely dense and powerful. It's a, it's a huge, it's a much more uh, powerful explosion than you would get with a natural gas pipeline. Is, is what happened in Satarshi, is this the first incident of a CO2 pipeline bursting? It's the first incident of a CO2 pipeline bursting that we know about in which people were actually sickened. Yes, it's a first of its kind event in, in the world, according to the World Health Organization, which did a, a, a search uh, for us uh, on that on that very question. So, and then we got we got five thousand miles of this kind of pipeline right now, and the proposal is to expand it to sixty five thousand, and that's something the Biden administration is down with, correct? Yes, that's right. That's that just, that's disturbing. It's supposed to be it's supposed to be a cornerstone of their program. Okay. Right, because yeah. we're seeing that here in Iowa, too, as, as Ed may talk about. Um, you know, one way of trying to force us to make more ethanol is to try to somehow sell it as uh, economically, uh, environmentally neutral. And to do that, uh, there's been a big push to try to do carbon sequestration here. But as you point out, it's not truly carbon dioxide sequestration. Most of what happens is these gases are used to actually extract more uh, fossil fuel from the earth to be burned, which then puts the carbon dioxide right back into the mm. environment, mm -hmm. uh, in particular correct. the atmosphere. Yeah, That's correct. Yeah, and I think in the case of what's happening in the Midwest with the various um, proposals like the summit, uh, so-called the CO2 highway, um, it's not really clear how much of that is going to be quote-unquote sequestered and how much of it might go up, for instance, up into the Bakken and other places to do what you just described, which is drive out more oil, which certainly cancels out the environmental benefits of ethanol pretty, you know, completely. Yeah, and what, what's interesting about that, Dan, would be that, of course, to do that, which will uh, make fossil fuel continue to appear cheaper, uh, these these... Uh, uh, you know, kinds of uh, projects are heavily subsidized by yeah. taxpayer dollars right. to make them uh, viable. Yeah. Correct. There, 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 is, there is no commercial, real commercial interest in doing this without subsidy, vast subsidies from the government. And we're talking about there already are there are already tens of billions of dollars in the Biden uh, infrastructure package and probably more to come. But that's a that's a that's a, a, is, a tiny droplet in a very very big ocean of money that's needed. Is, is anybody I mean, this, anybody in Congress going to cost trillions of dollars? Is anybody opposing? Is mm -hmm. anybody opposing that ear that uh, that element of the infrastructure bill? The problem is there's very little opposition because folks have signed on to this in the Senate and in the House, seeing it as a way to to yeah. look green, right. and also to bring in unions, uh, very yeah. heavy strong political backers of the Democrats to help build the thing, and so it's a tide that floats a lot of boats. So what, one more question, um, Dan. You, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned in your story that not all climate nonprofit organizations are on board to oppose the COT pipeline network expansion. Is that, that's, is that true? Yes, it is true. Which, which, do, you mind, do you mind naming names? No, <laughs> I don't mind naming names. They've named themselves. They're signed on with some of the uh, uh, bodies that are you know promoting this that are basically run by oil and gas. They include some surprising uh, organizations. Okay, surprise us. Well, the Clean Air Task Force is one. Uh, you've got uh, the, the Wilderness Foundation is signed on for some of this. 
Um, you've got um, for years the uh, National uh, uh, Resource Defense Council was part of the uh, push for for this too. They've now sort of backed away. They're a little bit more agnostic on it than they were. <laughs> those are just a few. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, uh, and again, great job on the story exposing what happened in Satarsha uh, back in February of last year with the uh, pipeline break. Well, thank you, Ed. And I wish you guys all the luck out there. And uh, if I'm ever in Des Moines, I will have to stop in and, we'll, we'll, and meet you. We'd like that. Uh, folks, we've been talking with uh, Dan Ziegart. He's the author of a story about uh, Satarsha, Mississippi, where a CO2 pipeline burst last year. Uh, sending 49 people to the hospital. And, uh, well, I, I just amazed that nobody died. And, again, as the pipeline expansion continues, um, this is an important uh, piece of information to get out there. We're going to take a short break, about a minute. When we come back, uh, Charles and I are going to discuss uh, climate delay, the new climate denial. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Fallon Format. Fallon with you here. Also, Charles Goldman. Hey, remember what you hear in this program, you won't hear on the corporate-owned stations. So support what we're doing. Support the alternative to the right-wing shock jocks. Become a monthly supporter. Donate. Spread the word. Whatever you can do, check us out on the Fallon Forum website. And thanks to our, our local business partners as well. Thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or just give Kim a call at 515-232-8766. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Klipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, so we all know about climate deniers. They're out there, but there's less and less of them all the time. And of course, the industry, the fossil fuel industry, has led the way on denying climate change. But that's changing. They're starting to say, yeah, we know this is happening. We know this is a problem. And we're a part of the solution. And of course, what is the solution? Well, when it really comes down to it, the solution involves delay. It involves greenwashing, making it seem like they're doing something, making it seem like they care. But in, in, in reality, what they're doing is trying to delay the inevitable transition off of fossil fuels in order to keep 
making a ton of money producing and burning fossil fuels. That's my take on it, uh, Charles, and my take is uh, similar to what's uh, espoused in the publication Covering Climate Now. What's your take? Well, I think that I would, I would agree with you that um, we keep pushing back the tipping point. You know, how many degrees rise is going to be the tipping point and how much closer to the tipping point could we be given what we're witnessing this summer all around the world. Mm. And, and again, um, it's not just the United States. Uh, you know, there is a rest of the world that does exist beyond the United States. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, gosh, I, I didn't but, know that. But, so you I'm know, glad this, you told me. Right. The same patterns that we're seeing here, we were seeing all over the world. The flo- you know, Yes, there was flooding recently of a huge magnitude, obviously, from uh, Hurricane Ida on the East Coast. But there was massive flooding just a month before in Germany like they had never seen before for, again, the same reasons that we only have extremes of weather. And, and 122 degrees in Pakistan. Right. I mean, and... Portland, uh, Portland, uh, well, you know, Oregon is People is dying of heat waves warmer in Canada. Than Texas you know? But, yeah. you know, I, so, yeah, so the, 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 the climate industry, the, the climate change industry, let's call them, the fossil fuel industry, says, yeah, we get this. This is a problem. We're wringing our hands and we're finding solutions. And our solutions, well, in addition to the carbon... Uh, carbon dioxide pipeline system we talked about, they've got lots of other ideas for how we can solve the problem. And all of it involves continuing business as usual. Right. Well, you, we were just talking about this, which is carbon sequestration is a perfect example of that, which is it's probably, in most cases, a pipe dream that it's going to have a negative uh, oh, it, it I, see produce, what, I see what you did there with the pipe. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that was very good. Right. I mean, it's a pipe dream. And, and as I said, as we were talking to Dan, you know, for instance, we're hearing about it in Iowa because it's going to save the ethanol industry, right. you know. But the yeah. fact of the matter is, is the question we're not asking is why are we saving the ethanol industry? Why are we saving, why are we growing food to burn, you know, and it, to burn in, you know, in cars or to, do, you know, provide other energy? Um, you know, it. Carbon sequestration is going to be a way of saying there's now clean coal because now you can have coal-fired electric plants that you can scrub the CO2 out of the smokestacks. Well, that's, that's the idea. Allegedly. Allegedly. Supposedly. That's the idea. This is supposedly the In some fantasy world. Right. And if all you're going to do is pressurize it, make it a liquid so you can force it into you know, dying oil fields to get the last you know, 40 to 50% of oil that's left there, yeah, you simply it, it, you're back to it's a positive uh, you know situation in terms of the emission of CO two. So you know, I, I, the the reason we deny is because we don't have a political system that's set up to ever be more future oriented than six months from now. You know, well, we don't have leaders who get up in front of the populace and say, "This is all very nice, but let's get real." You're you're off by a factor of four, Charles. The the political system is designed to be. To be a, it, it, for primarily to consider the next two years, the mm-hmm. election cycle of a congressman, right? Or a woman. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> absolutely true because because nobody is willing to sacrifice their political careers for what they think is right. And I think we might be seeing that when it comes to the infrastructure bill and some of the bad stuff in there that allegedly is supposed to be tackling climate change, but is merely going to be continuing the problem. So speaking of continuing the problem, mm-hmm. you know, I, everybody loves Iceland, right? How do you not love Iceland? Simple people, 
you know, minimally populated country, beautiful icebergs. Yeah, well, well, you have to remember why it's called, the reason it's called Iceland was that the people who were there called it Iceland to try to keep people away. Oh, that's why they call it North Dakota. I get it. Okay. No, that's why they call it North Dakota. <laughs> Forget the North and South Dakota thing. But Greenland, of course, was not green, but that was a way of trying to get people to come. Iceland didn't want people coming. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. I mean, Iceland is awesomely beautiful. And they have built the fur. they have built the biggest uh, CO2 sucking machine ever. Just on, just came online last week. Uh, this monster um, started <laughs> operating last week. I just tried to envision what a CO2 <laughs> sucking machine looks like. <laughs> yes, it's like the, yeah. Well, anyway, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. 4,000 tons of carbon dioxide out of the air each year. And that sounds like a lot, right? Wow, 4,000 tons, that's, that's a, a lot. That's a negligible amount. Well, do you, you know how much, uh, I, I looked this up to make sure, how much CO2 humanity produces each year? Does that include uh, cow emissions? No, or? I said humanity. Okay. Unless, unless, you're, unless you're a centaur, half cow, half human, this doesn't count. Uh, humanity produces 43 billion tons of CO2 per year. So by in my terms ma- of just what we expire or actually what we use in terms of energy? I think that's in, in, in terms of all the different systems we have in place that produce CO2. Including our own CO2 that we produce. I don't know. We that, breathe out. Okay. I, I'm not, that's a... That's a that's a detail I'm not sure. Okay. But anyway, we produce a heck of a lot of CO2, 43 billion tons a year. And uh, if you were to create, I mean, this is this machine is being touted as, look at this, it can suck all this carbon dioxide out of the air, 4,000 mm-hmm. 4, tons a year. Well, you know what? Guess how many plants, so, so how many of those machines would you need globally to suck 43 billion tons of carbon out of the, out of the air every year? You'd need over 10 billion. And what power? What powers <laughs> this well, CO2 sucking? Well, machine? great question. What powers it? You know, I'm sure it's some of that um, that uh, thermonuclear uh, that uh, that um, uh, what do I want to call it? The uh, the, the volcanic. Uh, well, the, the hot. No, I'm I'm sure they use geothermal. <laughs> geothermal. There do, we go. They use a lot of geothermal. Thank you. In in Iceland. But still, I mean, come on. Well, we, this, we, is not a, this is not we, a viable we, we solution. Do, well, Ed, but we do have CO2 sucking machines. They're called trees. Yeah, I know. But, you know, as we've talked about in the past, again, you would have to basically carpet the earth in terms of the land that could actually support trees, with trees, to suck out as much CO2 as we need from the atmosphere at this point. That wouldn't be bad. No, but it, it would leave you no arable land to grow food on. No, no, you can, you can, you can, grow, uh, you can grow food-producing trees like pawpaw, but there's, apples, yeah, there's oranges, only, there's grapefruit, only so lemons, many foods, juneberries. There's only so many foods you can derive from but then, the tree. But then, then animals can live in those trees, and we can eat them, too. <laughs> oh, sorry, you're a vegan. Um, but no, so, I, I mean, this, is just, this to me is an example of the unrealistic nature of the whole uh, fossil fuel industry. They, they have no credibility when it comes to proposing climate solutions. You know, again, lot, lots of um, lots of back padding over the uh, biggest carbon sucking machine ever. And yet you would need 10 billion of them, <laughs> 10 billion to do the job. You know, again, well, so let's, trees. Yeah, let's, great. That's only part of the solution. But I mean, but, you know, on the flip side is as you and I have talked about, I, I also find sometimes the, the environmentalists are equally unrealistic in that a lot of what's happening right now is revolving around the idea that we can continue to generate more and more electricity to allow charging of electric cars, to power CO2-sucking machines, to do all these other things, to desalinate water where there's going to be no water like the western part of the United States. Right. Well, that's so, a great point. So that we are going to have to make a decision 
about what is a viable form of electrical production. And putting solar panels on everybody's roof is not going to do it because you're going to need highly concentrated electrical capabilities to turn from a gasoline-powered transportation system a lot to a of totally rare, electric. A lot of rare minerals, too. I mean, right. the, the, at some point, the only solution is going to be a... T- it's it, it, loading us onto a ship. No, no. A rocket ship, and, and we'll go no. ruin another planet. Bye-bye, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay here. No, the the only... I mean, there's got to be a radical shift in how we view uh, our... Uh, what we view as priorities. I mean, we're, we've become a very materialistic society. And there has to be some shift in in how we view value in life. And I think, I, 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 you know, it's, 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 it, means, it, means doing a, it means consuming a lot less. Um, uh, right. I think that, that's inescapable. And, and I, I know it's not a popular view, which is that, um, especially first world countries telling the rest of the world yeah, to stop that. consuming. Yeah, we need uh, to set an example. Right. <laughs> so, hey, well, one more thing about, sure. cli- about, about the uh, climate denial uh, uh, issue. So, Andrew Yang, he's now proposing a third party. You heard that? Great. I mean, yeah. the more parties, the better. The I more mean, parties, the better. Well, it was yeah. just an academic paper that I just, eight, eight political parties in the United States would be optimal. I just want to know whether Andrew Yang is going to stick by his proposal on geoengineering to address climate change. He said this directly to me and Kathy when we met with him at a cafe in Johnston. He said that one thing we need to do is to pack dirt around glaciers to slow their melting. <laughs> yeah, a laughter is the appropriate response. I want to know. And if he's how backed did you there. ask him how the dirt is going to be brought there? We, our jaws were like hit, hit the floor at that point, and we couldn't get him back up in time to rephrase the question. He, but, he's been reading too much science fiction. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> I, I am intrigued by his third-party option, but hey, we got to move on to a short break here. When we come back, speaking of denial, uh, my contention is there are science deniers on both sides of the COVID debate. Charles, I want to get your take on that. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Hey, welcome back to the Fallon Forum, and uh, happy September, folks. We're making that great shift here in the heartland from summer to fall. Hey, you know, if you um, if you like what we do, folks, uh, please help support this program. We could use your support. Go to the Fallon Forum website, check it out, 
Also, thanks to the local businesses who help make this program possible and to our nonprofit partners, including Bold Iowa, building rural-urban coalitions to address climate change. You can learn more at boldiowa.com. Also, thanks to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get information about classes, workshops, and tours at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, so Charles, um, yeah, the uh, COVID. I, I'm, I, I don't, I don't do a lot on this program about COVID, uh, but I think, I, I think I, I, we've got to have this conversation. So that radical rag of uh, right-wing propaganda, the New York Times, <laughs> right? Okay, the uh, the liberal bastion, as it's referred to by some. Uh, and this is this is from. You mean the one that spread the. Uh Information about the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Uh, yeah, that Judith, one. Yeah, that Judith one. Miller's famous yeah, that articles. one. That one. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I'm quoting: the CDC reported a terrifying fact in July: vaccinated people with the Delta variant of the COVID virus carried the same viral load in their noses and throats as unvaccinated people. Yet, in recent weeks, more data has become available, and it suggests that the true picture is less alarming. Yes, Delta has increased the chances of getting COVID for almost everyone. But if you're vaccinated, a COVID infection is still uncommon, and those high viral loads are not as worrisome as they initially sounded. Okay, so let me let me explain this as a this is the problem with information from the CDC that goes on the front page of the New York Times or wherever. That piece of information is true, and it's expected. When you give a vaccination, you are unless you give the vaccination as a nasal spray. You don't develop mucosal immunity to a, a virus. You develop humoral immunity. That is the antibodies in your blood and the other cells floating around. Therefore, you don't have any ability to really truly change the viral load on your mucosal surfaces that line your nose and the oropharynx and, and those sorts of things. What that does mean is you don't get sick from it. Right, and that's the important thing. Right. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the, the, the big difference is that... And you could use Invermectin too, but I mean... Okay, well, <laughs> no. no, I want to save that for the horses. Yeah. There, there's a great video out there, by the way, showing people who allegedly took that drug and now they're loop, loping along mm -hmm. the grass. Okay, I, we can over. talk about Invermectin, but this is... No, we shouldn't. This is No, we shouldn't. <laughs> but this is my point. See, there's a difference between a discrete piece of information, which has no meaning to 99% of the populace because they do not, and it has nothing to do with their intelligence. They are not trained to understand the difference between what that is saying. It's also one piece of research from one set of researchers that may, in fact, two weeks later be shown to be different in another group. Yeah. You know, so this is the problem. This is why people have trouble filtering this information and knowing what to believe. Well, you know, and again, I think, I think um, I'm, I'm not going to blame the CDC, but I do credit the New York Times with at least having this conversation uh, and pointing out that, and I'll quote again, probably about one in 5,000 vaccinated Americans might contract COVID per day. Uh, and that number is even lower for people who take precautions or who live in highly vaccinated communities, maybe one in 10,000. And the, the number of deaths among vaccinated people, one in every 100,000. It's not, um, you know, the, the, the story points out, for the vaccinated, COVID resembles the flu and usually a mild one. Society does not ground to a halt over the flu. That's my concern, is that we, you know, I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm not going to get in an argument with people who decide not to be vaccinated. I mean, I, and that, maybe that argument's worth having. That's not my argument. My argument is, okay, we, we, we see the evidence here about how, um, how 
little impact this this risk of the, the COVID risk is to somebody who's been vaccinated, why let it absolutely turn your life upside down? At, any, at this point, at this point, we should be beyond that. Well, I, I think the the concern here, unlike some of the other uh, traditional viruses that we vaccinate against, is that we're creating a whole population of people who are going to be debilitated for the rest of their lives. And while it is absolutely true that the flu has it, the COVID is still more fatal, more likely to be deadly than the flu. Um, but the problem is the flu doesn't give you lifelong COVID. You, know, you don't get so long what, flu. You don't, you, well, there are people well, get cardiomyopathy with oh, the okay. flu, but, but they don't but, get but, long, but, they don't get it to this degree. But the whole COVID thing is so recent. We don't know whether people have quote lifelong impacts. There's, it's it's just, it's too recent. It, it, to know that's that. correct. That's correct. But we have people who are already having some pretty long live symptoms. How many? That we are not seeing. It's up at at least 50% of people who have, 50% of people who have had COVID and the numbers higher in the percentage who've been hospitalized with COVID are report at least one to two persistent symptoms. And in particular- Over how long of a period? Through the follow-up time over the last 18 months. And they are, you know, there was just an article, actually a pretty good article in the Des Moines Register about this. They're, they are profoundly fatigued. They have brain fog. They can't function. That is not what the flu usually does. There is something different about COVID. So the point of vaccination to me is if we only look at, you have to ask, what's the goal of vaccination? The goal of vaccination, number one, is to avoid a, ma- a large number of people getting COVID and getting severe illness with COVID. Right. Okay. You... Yes, the, the percentage of people who die of COVID is still seemingly a small percentage, but you know, 1% fatality rate over 300 million people is still a lot of people. Yeah, and again, okay. anymore, the, the, almost, almost all the fatalities are un, among the unvaccinated. At presently, that is what's happening. That's correct. Right. Presently, that is what's, what's why, happening. Why, and that's not likely to change, is it? No, because in fact, the group that should be most at risk for dying from COVID is no longer dying from COVID because they got vaccinated, which was right. people over the age of 65. Right. I mean, of course, there's still people doing it. But I, I'm equally concerned about the idea that, especially in an environment in which, you know, we're potentially going to reinstall a government which, in which everything, you know, that isn't about corporate welfare needs to be gotten rid of because it's an it, it's a, uh, unmerited entitlement. You're going to have a lot of people, including their own voters, who are going to need something because they're not going to be able to work. And it's very nice to tell people with, you know, long COVID, oh, it's in your head, you know, and this and that. But when you do echoes on them and, you know, you have a a 30-year-old person with an ejection fraction of 20% on their echo when it should be 65%, you can't send them to work. Right. They can barely walk around their house. So... Okay, so... So I guess what I'm looking at is what what is what is the data right now? Uh, you you've been vaccinated. Your risk of getting COVID is low. Your risk of dying is one in a hundred thousand. What is your risk, having been vaccinated, of getting COVID and then having some of these long-term symptoms? That is uncertain at this point. But clearly, if you don't get COVID, which you uh, you don't get a severe case of COVID, you're much less likely to have long COVID. Right. And we know that vaccination makes most of the infections much more minor. The other problem is that with, with no vaccination, it is more likely that you will be able to pass the vaccine, the virus rather, to others. Um, 
Wouldn't that be nice to be able to pass the vaccine to others? Yeah, it would be. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think the, the comparison to the flu is uh, an unfortunate one. Well, how about the comparison the New York Times makes to um, car accidents? Um, and I quote, Americans under 17, among Americans under 17, uh, fewer than 500 have died of COVID since the pandemic began. Uh, many more, a few thousand every year die in vehicle crashes. I, I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to put it into perspective. We have become so hyper-focused on this that we're losing, okay. losing so, perspective. So on here, here's, here's, here's the perspective. So you can make the same argument. We give we give children now vaccinations against hepatitis C, uh, hepatitis B, right. right? Yep. That's that is an illness that, particularly because of new antivirals, rarely kills anybody. Right. Who had been, you know, vaccinated, um, and it causes a relatively rare primary liver cancer. Okay. You know, but the point is that if you don't vaccinate large numbers of children against hepatitis B, then you're going to spend a huge amount of billions of dollars of, of antivirals to treat people so that they don't get sick from hepatitis B through their lifetime, when you could have given them a, a vaccination that has really essentially no side effects to them. And we can argue about that, but it doesn't. Right. You know, yes, of course, every vaccine that's ever been given occasionally causes Guillain-Barre. But you know what also causes Guillain-Barre syndrome? COVID and the flu and RSV, Hmm. you know. So um, you have to look at the big picture, which is not about the number of people who die. It's actually, it's worse to be disabled in this country than it is to be dead in many ways. Because we have such a poor system of taking care of people who have needs, you know, that don't allow them to work, hmm. that it, it, in many ways, I would say you are better off dead in some situations. <laughs> I won't quote you on that. Well, I mean, I don't want then. people to be dead, but I'm saying <laughs> that, that being disabled then is not something, particularly if you're young. Hmm. Do you really want to look at a life of 60 more years of disability, um, you know, of not being yeah. able to be a part of your own life because well, you know, and, and, and tying that back into the whole conversation about COVID, I mean, a lot of people are living nowadays uh, in, a, in a way that's very different than what we've been used to living. And, and I understand, I mean, I, I think given climate change and so many other things, we're going to have to make changes. But some of the changes being made in response to COVID are not necessary, in my opinion. I mean, and I say my opinion based on what I read, the numbers, the data. Again, if you've been vaccinated... And maybe there are, if there are extenuating circumstances with long-term illness in your family, uh, maybe you've got a compromised immune system, maybe there are children in your family with issues. I get that. But for most people, we should be to the point now where we're not living in fear anymore. Um, I, I don't know about not living in fear anymore. I, 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 I would agree with you that Mass mandates for everybody is never going to work. People are fatigued. I, I don't see the sense of wearing masks outside for the most part, mm. unless you're in a very crowded you know, situation, uh, particularly during the warmer months when viruses don't spread as easily, even respiratory viruses. Uh, on the other hand, I totally disagree with the idea that you can't mandate wearing masks or have classrooms where kids are wearing masks and classrooms where they're not because they have, they, we don't know what their protection is hmm. against, this, against these variants. Charles, i got to run to a break. Uh, folks, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman with me here. Uh, yeah, I dared uh, venture into a, an area that is his specialty. Um, 
call me brave or foolish. I don't know which. (laughs) (laughs) Or both. (laughs) Anyway, when we come back, speaking of brave and foolish, we're going to talk about the Texas GOP and the Taliban. Uh, Some are saying they've found some common ground. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, hey, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks for joining us today, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host, in the studio here with uh, Dr. Charles Goldman. Hey, thanks to those who are listening who support our program Thanks also to our team of five dedicated volunteers. We could not do it without you. And if you're not already supporting our mission, check out the Fallon Forum website and consider a donation. Thanks also to our local business partners, including psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Thanks also to Groovy Goods, that's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop, where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. All right, so after the um, near-complete ban on abortion and the voter suppression bill in Texas, there have been lots of commentators who are comparing the Texas GOP to the Taliban. Uh, Harry Shearer, I don't, I, I don't know if you know Harry Shearer, Charles, but he's um, a voice actor from The Simpsons. He did uh, Ned Flanders and, uh, and Mr. Burns. I think that's a great combo. And he tweeted recently, quote, remarkable that in the same week, the Taliban took control of Afghanistan and the Texas legislature. So um, not to be outdone, <laughs> Texas lawmaker, a Republican named Matt Schaefer, He said on the floor of the House last week, this is the House of Representatives in Texas, he said, uh, he claimed that abortion is so immoral that even the Taliban prohibits the practice, a comment for which he got derided significantly. So I I don't know. I mean, Charles, uh, are are the... Well, the one I heard was that instead of worrying about airlifting the women out of Afghanistan, we should start worrying about (laughs) airlifting women out of Texas. Well, and sadly, there may be women in Texas who are in need of an abortion, who will be having to flee the state. Well, they're already doing that. Yeah. They, they immediately went to Oklahoma, actually. Yeah. Uh, there was an article about that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, and Texas is all, it's a very mixed state. I mean, actually, there's probably, uh, given given who, who represents uh, 
given given the makeup of the legislature and the U and the congressional delegation, the representation is way out of line with the Texas population. It's not it's not a solid red state like Iowa. Uh, well, th- th- this is way out of line with what the stable view of abortion has been from Roe v. Wade onward. Right. You know, the polling in the United States has been stable for decades. 20% of people from the late 70s onward believe that it is immoral and um, should never be allowed. And that hasn't, that hasn't risen. That much. has not risen. Right. Um, that, is, that group is made up of people who do, in fact, because of their own moral beliefs, which may or may not be religiously based, believe that it is taking of life. Um, then there's the group that are basically misogynists uh, and, and the incels, you know, the in, involuntarily celibate men who um, use religion. Wait, 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 wait. involuntary <laughs> celibate, celibate men. Explain this to me. This is a new concept. I mean, this is a diversion, but uh, so let's not spend much time on it. But what are you talking about? Well, they're just they're just the other group of misogynists, along with the the the. They just can't get a date. They cannot get a date. Okay, that's right, correct. Right, it's that's... men who who ha- who hate women for that reason. But um, <laughs> okay. So never heard that. That term. group has been pretty stable. About you know thirty percent of the United States believes that abortion should have no regulation whatsoever. It should be done on demand. Right. And the rest of the United States, fifty percent of the country, believes there should be some limitations on abortions. Um, so this is a bill that doesn't represent the majority of Texas, nor does it represent the majority of the United States. It, 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 it represents that twenty percent of the population. It, it represents, but it is also a a scheme by which Governor Abbott is trying to outflank the even crazier right wingers who are going to run against him in Texas in, in, a, in a Republican primary. Right. Well, if he's got if he's got, if he's got more than one, he he will have no trouble. If they coalesce around one crazy right winger, then maybe he is. Well, it could be his lieutenant risk. governor, who's even nuttier than he is. Yeah. But of course, he's also under investigation by the FBI for corruption. Uh, the lieutenant governor of Texas. Huh? So, really? Every, a Republican uh, lieutenant governor uh, who uh, accused of corruption. <laughs> so, the 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 lawyer behind this bill actually it was, guess what, a law clerk at one time of Anton Scalia. Okay. Um, and a very religious, conservative religious man. Who can't get a date? No, no, he's oh, married. Okay, right, kids. Right. He's not an incel. Um, and <laughs> he, 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 is of, he is of the group that truly believes that, that by his religious beliefs that this should be banned. And he found and that this is a somewhat clever way of trying to get around yeah. the law. Well, I mean, basically, they're, 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 they're putting a bounty on women. Yes, I understand. I understand. And, and but, but the real... The real, the real beauty of this as far as they're concerned they're concerned is that it takes the enforcement away from the state which is according to them puts it on the according to them the only uh enforcement that the supreme court and the federal government can regulate which will turn out to be absolutely not the case this is going to be it as soon as the first case they're going to look for kind of like a um you know scopes trial here right. the you know the 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 yeah, pro the pro no i say pro abortion the you know, the uh, pro-choice groups, the pro-choice groups will find someone who's willing to be the test case. Because the the problem with this law is not just, of course, that it defines a fetal heartbeat at six weeks that doesn't exist, and that at six weeks many women wouldn't know they're pregnant. Um, Because all that happens at six weeks is is a couple cells that vibrate. There's no heart. 
and it vibrates when you do an ultrasound. And that's what they're calling the heart. It's nonsense. Um, so the, um, when there's an actual case, then the Supreme Court will be forced to rule and strike the law down. Because, you know, the problem is if you, if you but, have laws but, using bounties, but, but, using citizen enforcement, you want to know what the next thing is going to be? Find the blue state that decides that they're going to do, if you, someone in your family dies and you didn't get a vaccine, someone can, can sue you. Or maybe not even in your family. Someone can sue you. I mean, this is, this is the kind of enforcement. You want to turn our country into a vigilante state? It plays both ways. Yeah, and none of it's good. Right. <laughs> and what they're also but, doing but, but is— but, 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 Hey, back yeah. to the Supreme Court. When, when the Supreme Court gets a hold of this, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about what they're going to do. I, I, I think they could go as far as totally overturning Roe v. Wade and punting it back to the states. And you may have, you'll have other states, maybe even Iowa, doing crazy stuff along the lines of what Texas is doing. Why is that not inconceivable? Well, no, other states have already said they're going to do this. Yeah, and, and so, and, and, and I, I suspect, I, I would not be surprised to see the Iowa legislature delve into this next year and pass it. Okay, and so, Governor Reynolds sign it. So when you get shot by somebody who claims that they were standing their ground, uh, you know, and it, their ground somehow is the mall now, not even their house, and they're carrying a gun they don't have a permit for because you don't need one anymore, and that they don't need it because you have a Second Amendment right. Well, why don't we just go and sue all those people? Now forget about the gun manufacturers. We're just going to sue. I'm going to sue from Polk County, somebody who gets shot in the mall over in Council Bluffs because I now have legal standing. It's ludicrous. And as much as the Supreme Court majority would like to ban abortion, they understand the implications here are that you will have vigilante justice that plays both ways. Yeah. And that this so, is an so untenable you, So you think, you think the Supreme Court is, is, is going to uh, back away from the precipice on this? Of course, because they have another, so I, I, they have I, I, another I, case sitting right in front of them that's going to be, allow them to already change the issue of what is viability. And that's the Mississippi case that they're going to you know, look at later in the fall. So do you think eventually the Supreme Court, under its current makeup, will go so far as to basically um, ban abortion? No. I'm, I'm not so optimistic. I mean, I, the, the direction things are heading is not encouraging. Um, it, it, you know, the, they are politically minded as are, you know, maybe not to the same degree as the GOPers who put them on the court. But they can't, they are aware of what that would do. Well, and why, why, why do they care? If they're ideologically driven, and certainly you can argue that most of them are. <laughs> Which plays both ways. Well, sure it does, but, but, uh, but certainly, I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 don't, I, I don't see them letting their ideology stay at home in a closet when it comes to a vote well, they like don't this. Well, they don't need to do a full frontal assault anymore on Roe. What I'm saying is there's a case out there that's already going right. to allow them to you know, severely prescribe Right, and, and, and it, it won't be the last time an, abor- an abortion case comes before the Supreme Court. And it, maybe they'll whittle away at it. Maybe they won't you know, negate, the, negate that right in one fell swoop, but they're going to keep nailing it. They're going to keep chipping away at it. And if Steve Beyer insists on staying on the court... Well, I think this... I mean, no, I think another this, will actually, this will actually move Steve Beyer because he already kind well, of is intimating he might well resign, you know, well, retire. He could pull an RBG. 
<laughs> which would be a huge mistake. Yeah. No, um, no, I think that this case in particular may have kind of pushed him toward saying maybe it is time to not allow them. It's bad enough that it's probably going to be 6-3 on a lot of cases. I mean, mm-hmm. Roberts is worried about his legacy. As, and, a, me, as, as, as a man of reason. He's, in moderation. Well, I, I don't know about his earlier history as a man of reason. Right, but, okay, but his current, yeah. his current attempts to be reasonable in an yeah. unreasonable environment. You yeah. You, you, do have, you do have, yeah, some religious ideologues on the court. There's no question about it. And, but I do believe that they'll just chip away at Roe and make it just harder and harder to get an abortion. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Charles, uh, thanks for joining us today, folks. Uh, Charles Goldman. Dr. Charles Goldman, may I say that? If you have to. If I have to. Okay. Has been <laughs> co-hosting with me today. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, I'm going to step aside. I've had enough of this. I'm tired of you all. No, I'm kidding. I love you. Uh, but Elaine Mattingly is going to join Kathy Burns. They're going to be talking about the American Gothic. You know the painting? The, uh, mm-hmm. the American Gothic painting? Yeah, They're going to be talking Wood. about that in conjunction with local food security and a garden party coming up that showcases that and some great music. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Thanks to our local business partners, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can order groceries online. And Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. I'd like to welcome to the program Elaine Mattingly. Hello, Kathy. Great Hello. to see you. You too. And we are excited because Birds and Bees Urban Farm is partnering with you, Elaine, and your husband, John, on a celebration of bounty. It's a garden party. And um, I want you to just explain a little bit what you see that as about. Well, what I see it as is a, um, a combining or a convergence of... Um, of the arts with solution-oriented, earth-friendly endeavors. Oh. <laughs> I love that. And speaking of the earth, this is a great harvest time, and there will be um, some some produce from Birds and Bees Urban Farm used by our friend Tony Lemo at Apasto, and he's going to be making some snacks for people to enjoy during the party. And... Um, 
We're excited about that. Um, we'll have food and we'll have music. We, we will. We're, we're going to, in the spirit of what uh, the Grantwood Art Colony used to do back in the day, um, I'm from literally where Grantwood is, uh, was born and buried. And so I'm highly influenced by Iowa and America's iconic artists. And uh, I'm, I'm passionate about uh, employing his timeless work as a springboard for continuing to revisit our relationship to art and the land together. And so that's kind of the spirit of, of what we're trying to do here. And on the entertainment end of things, um, we'll have live have some live music. Um, we've pressed in into service um, a theatrical friend of ours, Brian Healy, who will help us with both singing and uh, emceeing. Uh, he will be bringing a cowbell, by the way. <laughs> I played a cowbell last night at another garden party. <laughs> See, and I did the Will Ferrell dance to the to the song, uh, like in SNL. I, I can I do that at our party. Uh, I can't see how I could stop you, <laughs> and um, and we and we plan on having fun, um, helping people who come just enjoy having a lively good time, uh, in the spirit of the bounty, of course. And uh, so I get I you're, guess you're I could get details. You're making it sound a lot more serious than people will have the opportunity to dress up like the Grantwood American Gothic couple and oh. have a photo done. And Elaine, yes, please. I have just put in front of me the apron, the brown polka dot apron with the white rickrack. Oh, that, yes. That the lady, the sister of the man in the photo. Right, right. Well, in American Gothic, it was, in real life, it was a dentist, and it was Grant Wood's sister, Nan, mm. Nan Wood Graham. I uh, should have all four of my brothers come and pose with me. I think you should. I think you should. <laughs> um, and so as an ex that's going to be wonderful fun. Um, who who cannot enjoy doing that literally in an urban garden? I mean, come on. But what about polka-ing? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm very proud that our entertainment committee has figured out <laughs> a way to embed the word neonicotinoid into... Can you say that on an FCC station? Can we say I'm neonicotinoid? I'm teasing. <laughs> neonicotinoid. And into a parody of the Pennsylvania polka that is encouraging all to understand the importance of our friends, the bees. That's cool because birds and bees, Urban Farm, of course, has both birds and bees, right. which people can see at the garden party. And so, in effect, it will be the world premiere of the pollination polka, and you'll be there. <laughs> to see it and experience it. Um, that is, that's really cool. Um, how, you wrote the Pollination Polka. It's a parody. So I encourage anyone to take any song that they love and create some earth-friendly parody lyrics for it. And if you have friends who can play the accordion and do polkas, well, all the better. Hmm. You know, <laughs> I have such a I have such a friend who can play the accordion, so that's oh, a coincidence. Imagine that! Imagine <laughs> that! Hey, we well, we will also be bringing a, a flute player friend of ours. Really? Because in the spirit, as I mentioned, of the these Grant Wood happenings out in the art colony, they intended to have lots of fun back in the day, and they did. They people came from far and wide to experience being on the land uh, and enjoy theatrical elements, songs, music. 
um, readings, that sort of thing. Where is the art colony? It's in Stone City, Iowa, okay. which is also the name of one of his, probably his second most famous painting, perhaps. So. After American Gothic. After American okay. Gothic, yeah. And uh, Elaine, you've put together a folio of some Grantwood-themed work. I have. It's my, my passion project that I've been sitting on for maybe almost six decades. <laughs> Finally gave birth to that. Uh, it's, a, it's a folio called Grantwood Country Loose Leaf Poems. Mm. And uh, at the event, we'll be rolling out some of them with benefit of some various uh, types of music underneath. So uh, so people can kind of experience the convergence of words, music, and um, uh, food, drink, uh, conviviality and, with friends and neighbors. And farm tours. Farm exactly. Tours. A lot of people don't know that there is a lot still growing in gardens and on farms right now, in urban farms. Um, uh, crop of green beans just just you know, came to our house, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I can't give away our grape tomatoes fast enough. Oh. It's oh, been good. a bump. It's been a wonderful year for us on, on the grape tomato good. scene. <laughs> um, folks can find out about the garden party by going to Facebook, the Birds and Bees Urban Farm page, or also at Celebration of Bounty. Great. And... Um, one more, one more thing. The the type of music that we're mm -hmm. going to be hearing is, it's I would call it um, a combination of fun loving, earth friendly. Uh, it's it. I'm going to be honest. It's hard to pinpoint it, but we will keep it lively and friendly. And some of it will feel like where there's the polka. Some of it will feel. Um, maybe throwbacky to dec decades before. Some will feel uh, we have a, a power ballad underneath one of them, and you know we have something that might sound a little bit uh, like uh, progressive rock, you know, or you know just it's jazz, definitely jazz and blues. Look some things, to that. yeah, yeah. So uh, that's what happens when you have. Um, adept people around you, they it's hard to pigeonhole what they do. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today, Elaine. Oh, thank you so much, Kathy. I'm looking forward to it. Well, thanks to today's guests, Dan Zigart and Elaine Mattingly. Thanks also to our co-host, Charles Goldman, and the rest of our production team, Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, and Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrum Optometry, Groovy Goods, and David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Birds and Bees Urban Farm and Bold Iowa. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot. Sign up for Ed's weekly email on fallonforum.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, and listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. Thanks again, and see you next week.